Giving it 110% with Barry Nichols on ABC Grandstand. A ripper of a show today from my show, which is all about sport beyond the boundary. We're going to be looking at why it is that some fans get connected to a team in such a way that it's really unhealthy for them. Also, we'll be meeting Sir Donald Bradman's doctor, a man called Don Beard, or we'll be hearing his story. And there's been a lot of talk about long-term brain damage associated with multiple concussions in contact sports, in particular sports like gridiron in the US. But questions are being raised about Australian North football and also rugby league in this country. We will catch up with uh, the latest research on that front. I hope you can stay with us. Same, same, but different. TV chef Poe's long-awaited cookbook, new from ABC Books. Inspired by her Chinese Malay heritage, it's a celebration of the culinary traditions, techniques and ingredients from East and West. Noodles, dumplings, bagels, salads, puddings, pasta and cakes. Same, same, but different. Available now from ABC Shops, ABC Centres, Shop Online and Good Bookshops. Have you ever wondered why it is that some fans get so worked up when their team doesn't do very well? It, it's beyond the level of being a fan. Well, there's a reason for it, and this connection is incredibly strong between fans and their teams generally, but for some people, it becomes so serious they have to go and get help about it. Now, my next guest deals with people in this situation. Her name is Professor Jayashree Kulkarni. And she's from the Monash Alfred Psychiatry Research Centre. And I spoke with uh, Professor Kulkarni a little while ago. And here is some of that chat. Yes, I mean, I think it's really interesting the role that sport and sporting teams are playing in our lives these days. And it's almost, um, you know, the, the sense of community that's really expressed in uh, belonging to a team and following a team. You know, it's sort of like a, a real replacement for some of the older activities of days gone by. Perhaps religion's not taking up as much of a place in our lives as, as it used to. And so you have this urge that human beings have, you know, we're tribal creatures. We love to belong to tribes. And so in a sense... Um, having uh, being a fan of a football club or being part of a, that whole scene does provide you with a sense of belonging, and it can be really positive. And it can be, um, you know, sport can be a replacement for war. It can be an outlet for aggression. It can be an outlet for passion. It can be uh, an expression of faith, patriotism, and so on. So there's some real positives. And, of course, that, that community bonding that goes on between people who barrack for the same team is really strong. Identification with team players is another thing. You know, in the media, of course, we hear all about the different players and their their um, lives, their love lives, their this and their that. So, you know, there can be a sort of um, living of their life and their achievements as well. The difficulties, of course, is when people don't have much else in their life. And so if there's not a reality basis to the rest of their life and they're really very, very obsessed with the one thing, and if there is a downfall of their team and they continually lose or they have a big loss, then the person's in trouble. And I, I as a psychiatrist, do see people who experience full-on depression as a result of following um, a team that chronically loses and that sense of being a loser gets incorporated. See, that's interesting. I, I was surprised when you told me that earlier today, and I think there would be a few people surprised that, that people would take it 
that seriously, but or it would affect them that much. Yeah. Um, what's the difference, say, between your typical fan, someone who will go along each week in Barrack and then see both sides, you know, if they win or, or they lose, compared to someone who is connected to it in the manner you've just described? Yeah, I mean, I'm describing a you know a tiny, tiny minority, and it's with all the caveats that these are, this is a person who doesn't have much else, so they may have nobody else in their life, they may not have a job, um, they you know the only sort of enjoyment that they have is is the game, and that's quite unusual. I mean, most people are um, interested, and they may be may be quite passionate, they might be one-eyed and biased about their particular team. But they will have other things in their lives. They'll have other people in their lives. And so if there is a loss, then they get a reality um, basis by, you know, the sort of, oh, well, there's always next year or there's a next time or, you know, um, it's not that bad. It's just a game. I mean, all those phrases. But what's also interesting is that people tend to take the losses to heart much more than the wins. The wins uh, do result in euphoria. So you get this, you know, heightened... Um, fantastic feeling, but it seems to wear off quicker than the actual um, losses uh, for some reason. Is so, that just human nature? It's like this idea yeah. that, that we we will accept a compliment, but we'll forget it perhaps more readily than we will forget a real insult or a yeah, real Yeah, I mean, it, it does... It does seem to be that, that, um, that many times the highs are, are a bit, you know, sort of like Teflon, they wear off very quickly. Um, but of course, it's also about the context of the person's being. So again, you know, if there is a whole lot of things going wrong and the football team loses, then it's, it just is, you know, perhaps sometimes the, the last straw on the camel's back and, uh, and just has a domino effect. But um, I'm also fascinated by people who play in sporting teams because you have a whole range of effects that go on there. You know, in teams, you have cliques and you have little in-groups and out-groups. And so often you get things like little leadership teams within teams. And um, that can have a, a, an interesting psychological effect plus and minus, on other team members. And so team psychology is really important as they gear up to a match. You know, what are the what are the sort of factors that are going to make people play as a cohesive gang rather than as um, people that are out for individual glory and how does that all come together and what how do we deal with the issue of individuals who are actual players and their celebrity status that can suddenly fall through the ground if they as an individual, for instance, make a major error that ends up with the team losing. Um, you know, there's a lot of interesting mental health and mental illness, if it all goes wrong, aspects in the in the players as well. Yeah, and certainly gives an idea about the, uh, I suppose, the role of sport in society. It's not uh, just something that can be dismissed lightly. There are many things, many complexities to it. Uh, look, yeah, if, you, if you're just with us, Professor Jayshree Kulkarni, Director of the Monash Alfred Psychiatry Research Centre in Melbourne. We heard there Jayshree is a psychiatrist as well. We're talking about a number of things involving connection to sporting teams. Just coming back to this whole idea of people who get so connected to a team that it really affects their mental health if the team you know, has a, a bad run. As we're becoming a more secular society, are we seeing more and more people in that category? Mm. Look, I, I actually think that sports taking on a much, and you touched on it just in your comments, in, you know, about a much greater meaning in a lot of different ways. You know, it is it is a, a new expression 
for group activities. It's also got, you know, the family tradition. So you'll find teams, um, families, barracks for teams, and that's handed down through the generations, the, the culture and so on. It's an expression of culture. Um, certainly, you know, Australian culture, you, you, you think of the icons and there's the, well, I'm at the MCG, you know, and the, uh, and the football of the oval shape and everything else. And that's a very, very passionate, uh, culturally held uh, impact. Um, so, again, I think we are seeing sport expressing a lot of things that, that maybe we're not even quite aware of, of what's happening. I mean, the fever pitch around the World Cup you know, Australia has probably come into soccer later than other nations, perhaps, and uh, yet there is an incredible excitement about about this particular event, and obviously aided by media coverage and all the rest of it, um, you find people who normally wouldn't have a clue about soccer um, actually quite interested, and it's become a patriot patriotism expression for a number of people. Um, which, you know, maybe wasn't the case some time back. Uh, well, hence what we see uh, in terms of Anzac Day clashes for football as well. Yes. There, there yes. is that, um, you know, the piggybacking, if you like, uh, on top of the Anzac Day commemorations. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it, you know, it is an OK form of patriotism because, you know, it's not about war and, and uh, you know, murder and violence in that way. It, it's just, it is an absolute expression of patriotism in in a positive sense. Professor, it's been fascinating. Thank you very much for being uh, available. I've really enjoyed the conversation. I'm sure the listeners have as well. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you. Cheers. Professor Jayshree Kulkarni there, Director of the Monash Alfred Psychiatry Research Centre. This is 110% with Barry Nichols on ABC Grandstand. Look, when I used to go and watch cricket at Adelaide Oval, one of the familiar sights was that of a tall, thin bloke running out to the onto the ground with his little case to tend to the injured players. Now, the bloke was uh, Dr Donald Beard. He was Sir Donald Bradman's doctor for many years. Also, more importantly, he uh, tended to troops, uh, Aussie troops in Korea and Vietnam. Well, his biography has been written by former Australian off-spinner Ashley Mallett. It's called... The Digger's Doctor, The Fortunate Life of Colonel David Beard. And Ashley is with us. Hello, Ashley. Hello, Barry. How are you? Good, thank you. Now, this reads... Uh, also, also, he was the uh, honorary surgeon for the Queen. Whenever she was in Adelaide, yes. he, uh, and she said, well, uh, I don't think I'll be uh, uh, looking for your services, but why don't you join us on the uh, Britannia one night? And so he and his wife did. Yeah, uh, I think he still is the honorary surgeon. They forgot to get get rid of him uh, after he retired. <laughs> what is he now? Is he in his nineties? No, he well, he's, he turns ninety uh, in February. He's eighty nine. Yeah, uh, still pretty good. I mean, he's slowing down a bit as as, as you do, I guess, when you get up to towards hundred. But um, you know, he's pretty good. Yeah, it's 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 an extraordinary story. As I was about to say, it reads almost like a boy's own annual. Um, your personal connection, Ashley, with him? Uh, you, you you met him uh, in the South Australian dressing room, essentially. I was trying. I came out from Western Australia to get a game in in South Australia, and I my first training uh, session. Uh, Don Bradman was uh, the head of selectors here, and along with uh, <coughs> uh, Phil Riding and a few other blokes. And I a bloke hit one back to me, and I dislocated my finger. And I always remember Les Pavel saying. Uh, get your boots off before Sir Donald uh, takes you away because 
Sir Donald, uh, Sir Donald, take you to uh, the Medico, Dr. Beard. And I always reckon that was the, the best break of my career, you know, getting to know uh, Don, uh, Sir Donald Bradman, and uh, and getting to know Doc Beard. So that, that's that's how we met, basically. And uh, I always remember him uh, sort of being very gentle but firm, and it hurt like hell, but I thought, well, this is my luckiest break, so I'm not going to say anything. You mentioned in your book that uh, all of a sudden he was in the well, he was in the South Australian dressing room helping you, and then all of a sudden he wasn't. In fact, he'd gone off to uh, be a medico in Vietnam. Now he'd done that also in Korea. Can you tell us about his time tending to the troops in Korea? Well, he did. He was in. Uh, he ran a, a regimental aid post in Korea, and uh, and he wasn't then a qualified surgeon. He was um, uh, a captain, and he, in fact, he. Would, He'd uh, re- relinquished his uh, majority, which meant he went from a major to a captain to, to get the job in Korea. And I, thought, I think a lot of these guys, too, they, they were studying medicine and a lot of their mates went off to war and uh, they felt a bit guilty that they didn't go to war. So uh, this was an opportunity for him to uh, you know, to serve in the, on the battlefield. And he, he went to Korea and a fellow came in one day with a bullet wound to the head. Uh, so he he couldn't he wasn't then a surgeon so he, he uh, assessed the wound and sent him on to the U.S. Mass Unit uh, and then 17 years later when he was running the uh, he was then a colonel in the Australian Army the first Australian field ambulance in the, uh, field hospital sorry in Vung uh, Tau in Vietnam and guy comes in with a bullet in his head so the doc operates takes the bullet out and a couple of days later he sidled down to you know he, on his ward rounds, he sidled up to the, this fellow's um, bedside and uh, he said, Warrant officer, I've got some very good news for you. And the bloke said, uh, yes, Doc, what's that? He said, you're going to live. He said, well, that's good. Uh, but he said, I noticed a, a sort of trauma near where I pulled a bullet out. He, he said, did you have any trauma to the head? And the bloke said, geez, Doc, you pulled a bullet out of my head in Korea 17 years ago. Yeah, what are the odds? What are the odds, <laughs> hey? Uh, well... A few million. Well, I mean, let's face it, Barry, if you got shot in the head once, you're probably in a bit of trouble, you know? Yeah. My guest, Ashley Mallett, we're talking about his latest book. It is called The Digger's Doctor, The Fortunate Life of Colonel Donald Beard. He was, uh, Dr. Beard was Sir Don's doctor for a long period of time. You tell an interesting story about Donald Bradman losing his teeth or having his teeth taken out. Yeah, well, I was uh, <clears throat> the only time he ever got booed, playing uh, cricket, he was uh, playing for um, St George in um, in Sydney. He uh, he's only eighteen or nineteen years old, and um, he was having a bit of trouble, stomach trouble. So they, he went to the dentist, uh, as they did in those days. Because what happened? Uh, they always related stomach trouble to teething problems. And the dentist said, "Oh, well, you've got a few wisdom teeth that've got to come out." So he pulled out about three each side. So that six wisdom teeth or six back teeth out. And um, so that was on the Friday, and on the Saturday he had to play. Uh, he was captain of St George, so he um, uh, he won the toss and, and fielded. He thought, well, I'll field and you know see what happens. And then fielded himself at first slip and promptly dropped a couple of catches because he was more a cover field. You know. uh, he didn't get booed for that, but <clears throat> they knocked the side over for whoever the opposition was for about 150, and then they batted. And uh, he didn't bring himself into about the fall of the eighth wicket because he was wasn't feeling all that brilliant. And um, 
<clears throat> he got booed when he went out to bat. But he stayed there overnight, and he and Frank Ward, who ended up playing for South Australia, a league spinner from St George, and went on the 38 tour of England. Uh, they put a few runs together. Bradman went on to get 100, as he usually did. Uh, but that's the only time he ever got booed in his life. And um, so he confessed that in a letter to, to the, the doc, which I which I've cited. So Bradman had, what, false teeth? Well, I don't know if he had false teeth, but he, uh, I'm not sure about the ones at the front, but the ones at the back, he uh, mm. were missing. Yeah. What about Don Beard as a, a fellow? What made him such a good doctor? Well, I, I found a quote uh, uh, from a, a bloke who, uh, who said this in uh, 1589. And he said, a good, I'll just read it out to you. It's, uh, in a good surgeon, a hawk's eye, a lion's heart, and a lady's hand. Leonard Wright, London, 1589. <laughs> now, and that sort of sums him up to a T. I mean, he was, um, uh, he, he's, a, he's a guy who's quite gentle, but firm. Uh, but he's got the compassionate touch, you know. So he's, uh, he's an amazing sort of a character. He, he was the second doctor. South Australian Cricket Association doctor for about 50 years. Uh, but he had the, the, the service record in Korea and Vietnam. And, um, you know, the book was launched by uh, the Governor-General, Sir Peter Cosgrove, at Government House. And that in, in itself is an interesting story because I thought, because I, I saw Peter Cosgrove oh, a couple of years ago at the test match in Sydney. And I said, I was doing a book on the doc, and he said, oh, yeah. And I said, I'd like you to launch the book. And that was before he was Governor General. <laughs> and then, uh, so he said, yeah, I'd like to do it. And then he becomes Governor General. And I thought, oh, there's going to be protocol problems here because, uh, you know, <laughs> you can't have the Governor General overriding the, the state governor. Uh, but everything was fine. I, I just let him fight it out. I went to England and did a bit of coaching in, in May. And I came back and it was all <laughs> <it's> all. <laughs> Oh, that's the main thing. I'm glad that it yeah. went well. You, you also you, you tell an interesting story in the book about Jeff Thompson bowling to Sir Donald Bradman. This is in Don Beard's backyard. Yeah, well, the Don, the Don then was 70 years old. And Jeff and uh, his wife, Cheryl, you know, they were invited to, uh, to tea, uh, well, to afternoon tea and then, then at dinner at Don Beard's place. And um, and I think Bishan Beatty was coming from the Indian. It was just it was just before the India Australia Test match in '78, around uh, about the time of the World Series, and um, and Don Beard's sons, Alastair and um, Matthew, uh, said, "Well, because the doc had a a, a turf pitch out, you know, in his backyard, and." Uh, which was laid by Les Burdett, who was the, the sacker <laughs> the curator. Mm. And um, so it was a pretty good track, but it was very green. And um, and they said, uh, well, look, we're, we must have had some afternoon tea or something. And the, and the boys said, uh, well, we're, we're going out to have a, have a hit on the backyard pitch. Uh, uh, so, Donald, would you like to join us? And to everyone's amazing, he said, yes, I would. <laughs> so, so there he is in his, his uh, civvies, and he's 70 years old. He's got horn rim glasses on and, and he sort of grabbed the bat, uh, one of the boys' bats, and, and started marching towards the, the wicket area. And, and Jeff Thompson said, well, if Badman's batting, I'm bowling. 
and um, Jeff and um, and Sir Donald are walking out together, and um, Sir Donald said, uh, "Oh, you know, I haven't done this for a while." He said, "I'm not sure about this," and uh, and uh, Tom and I looked at uh, at the Don, and he said he, he he just sort of went, his eyes sort of glazed over, almost like he was marching to war, and he said it's the most amazing thing. And these two guys were bowling; they weren't look, they weren't great bowlers or anything, but they bowled at a, a fair rate. They were sort of uh, around about Glen McGrath's pace, Tomo said, and, um, you know, not as good, obviously, but, and he said it was a, a green track, and he said, for 20 minutes, the Don, here, here is this guy, 70 years old, no protection, no box, no pads, no gloves, and with a kid's bat, he said he belted shit out of every ball that came towards him. And it was just unbelievable. He said, I've never seen... It's the best batting display I've ever seen in my life. And so for a bloke that played in an era which was, you know, 40 years later, it's quite an amazing thing. Tommy tells it how it is. (laughs) (laughs) Giving it 110% with Barry Nichols on ABC Grandstand. Ashley Mallett there talking about Don Beard uh, with his book, The Diggers Doctor. In her new ABC book, A Year on the Farm, renowned cook and frequent local radio guest Sally Wise achieves her dream wish. In 2012, Sally and husband Rob moved to a farm in Tasmania's Derwent Valley. Sally shares stories of daily life on the farm and over 250 delicious and easy recipes. A Year on the Farm, now available from ABC Shops, Centres and abcshop.com.au. In a moment, we're going to talk about this contentious issue of head injuries that have been caused by contact sports. Let's have a listen to Chris Nowinski, who's from the Centre for the Study of CTE at Boston University. There are people out there that are still trying to push out misinformation about what the study of, of CTE has told us. But, you know, what we have found is that the people who tend to criticise the work vocally, the, basically the only people left in the world, tend to always be associated with professional sports leagues. More on that coming up. 110% Barry Nichols on ABC Grandstand. One area where there's been a lot of news reported in recent times is the ongoing effect of multiple concussions and the effect that can have on your brain. We've certainly seen cases over in America with gridiron players who have developed this brain damage that's called CTE. And now questions are being raised about contact sports right across the world, including here in Australia. Earlier, I spoke with Dr. Andrew McIntosh, who's from the Australian Centre for Research into Sports and Injury Prevention, and asked him how much research he's been involved in. Uh, Well, quite a lot. Look, we've looked at um, the biomechanics of concussive impacts. We've looked at laboratory testing of headgear, and we've also done some very substantial um, studies of headgear in, in games, you know, doing randomised control trials of uh, headgear in both AFL and rugby union. So we've done a lot of work on headgear. And what have you found? Well, unfortunately, the current types of headgear that are commercially available uh, are not effective in preventing concussion. They may offer some protection against, um, let's say, some abrasions or bruising, they may make it more comfortable for someone in contact situations, but there's no evidence that they um, uh, reduce the likelihood of concussion. 
So headgear is not going. So it's not going to stop the head bouncing around within the the the, the skull, if you'd like. Do you, do you think generally there is a greater awareness now of some of the problems that can come as a result of being concussed? Yeah, look, I think, I think there's a... The, we started doing this work back in the uh, mid-1990s uh, and there really was not a, a big awareness about concussion at that point in time. There's certainly, uh, through the media and in the science area and, and the sporting bodies themselves, there's a much greater awareness of concussion than there was 20 years ago. Uh, it's 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 improved uh, substantially. You say there that you haven't found any headgear that's uh, appropriate, if you like, at this stage, or that would stop concussion. Uh, I mean, as you look into the future, is there much likelihood of there being headgear that can stop that internal movement of the brain when you have, uh, you know, a thump to the head? Yes, look, there is. We when when we did one of the studies, we used a uh, what we called modified headgear, which was a slightly thicker and denser foam in the headgear, and it showed some very positive uh, trends, both in laboratory testing and also on the field. The problem is, is that that headgear would not meet the regulations that apply to uh, rugby union. And so you couldn't actually wear that in a game. The, the referee would be able to tell you to take the headgear off. What about an AFL or NRL? The, the, there's really no standards around headgear performance, and that's a real key issue here. That So whereas when you go to buy a bicycle helmet, you only can buy a bicycle helmet that meets the Australian standard. The Australian standard has been improved significantly over the last 30 years. Uh, there are manufacturers who can make helmets that meet the Australian standard for bicycle helmets. The ACCC is involved in mandating that only uh, bicycle helmets uh, compliant with the Australian standard can be sold. So for people buying bicycle helmets, there's a whole system behind that that produces helmets that are very effective for bicycle riders. If you're playing football, there's no such system in place at all. The, the, there's very flimsy or non-existent guidelines about the the performance requirements of the headgear. The manufacturers aren't being uh, sort of shown what the goalposts are, as it, as it were. If the manufacturers know what the standards are, what the performance requirements are, they'll they'll make things that meet that. So so the the sporting bodies and other members in society have to get together and really come up with uh, an agreed uh, you know standard for headgear and performance requirements. And then, then manufacturers will start getting on board and producing so, things. So it could be done is really what you're saying. Look, my Definitely. guest is Dr Andrew McIntosh from the Australian Centre for Research into Injury in Sports and its Prevention. What about for children? I mean, I would imagine that there would be, well, there's a need for adults, but also a need for children. Why aren't we seeing more of this development? Uh, just the codes, is it? Not having enough gumption. Well, look, with very young children playing contact sport, the, the, the sports have really changed how they play the game so that there's not the same amount of contact. Well, I mean, I'm a, I'm a little bit older. When I played rugby union when I was a, was a little boy, we played the rules that you play right through the whole game. You know, it's full contact. Whereas these days, for example, in rugby union and other sports, they play variations on the game and they gradually introduce contact skills into the game as the child progresses into you know, their teen years. So it's not the same game that they're playing, and I think the codes have been fairly responsible at looking at that, not just from an injury point of view, but also to try and get kids involved and actually um, 
you know, using the skills and, and, and practicing the skills in the game. So, so the other thing is that the injury rates in very young children, I'm talking about, let's say, under 12-year-olds down, are fairly low, and so where you you probably would start wanting to look at, say, padded headgear in in different football codes would be under 13s up to you know beyond. So not the really young children, but that sort of teen group that they would be potential they would potentially benefit from having padded headgear. Andrew, we'll leave you there. Thank you very much okay. for speaking with us. No problem. Cheers, Doctor Andrew McIntosh from the Australian Centre for Research into injury, into sports and its prevention. Here it is from ABC Books, Spotless A to Z, the ultimate guide to stain removal. Finding solutions to stains is easier than ever now. Beetroot or burn marks, mud or mulberries, grass stains or glue. On clothing, upholstery, timber, leather or concrete, the solutions are at your fingertips. Spotless A to Z by Shannon Lush and Jennifer Fleming. Available now from ABC Shops, Centres and Shop Online. Well, that's your lot for today. Thank you very much for tuning in. Don't forget, you can find multiple back editions of 110%. You can do that simply by going to the ABC Grandstand site. You can also find it on iTunes if you search 110% with Barry Nichols. There's been quite a range of topics covered in the last three years or so. Today, just a reminder as to who we heard from, Ashley Mallett talking about Don Beard and uh, the amazing life that he has had, including being Sir Donald Bradman's doctor. We also heard from Professor Jayashri Kulkarni, who was talking about the effect that uh, being just too connected to your team can have on you. It's a little bit frightening in some instances. And we heard about head injuries as well, which is certainly a growing issue in Australian sport. And that was with Dr. Andrew McIntosh. Thank you for tuning in. Talk to you next time. This is 110% with Barry Nichols on ABC Grandstand.